Unsee the future. The Hopi Chatty Bits. Hello and welcome to Unsee the Future, the Hopi Chatty Bits, the podcast in which I, Timo Peach, meet artists, solar punks, and changemakers reimagining the stories we think we're in. This is a sort of Christmas special, and I realise as I push the cameras and mics up, I've not put a single bauble or bit of tinsel anywhere in the room. In fact, I think this shot looks a little bit more forlorn than normal. It's quite chilly. I wasn't going to show you this, but I am actually sitting here with a hot water bottle. There you go. Uh, And I think all my guests this morning are in similar states of snuggling in. How has the year treated you? Are you in energy poverty already? Are you sitting in a corner with a tin of beans like it's the end of the world? (laughs) How we laugh about the serious state of everything. Well, over the next hour, we're going to try and cheer you up with talks of how we write stories to get ourselves out of this fine mess. And I have with us today uh, three of my best buds. I'm not going to give them the biggest introduction because we could talk all day before they even come and join me. But they have encouraged and influenced me more than so many people. They are each turning point relationships for me. We've all played out with so many different things in so many different ways. I'm calling them the boys from Intertwingularity because it's the name of the podcast that we haven't yet got around to doing. Maybe on this show we'll decide when we're going to do that because it would be good. Uh, But I will simply queue up my asset successfully and so please give a huge welcome to simon brett andy robinson and lee (laughs) boys welcome to Uh. the show how are you feeling this morning i'm gonna get rid of the overlay because i can't see my own face are you well where are you i think we're all in the extra area aren't we yes i'm near a castle so yes, you happen, you happen to all live somewhere near each other geographically around the fine town of Exeter, which I have a big soft spot for, uh, but we could be anywhere in space and time. Am I right, Lee? Yes, of course we are. In fact, three minutes ago, we were a million miles that way. <laughs> we were. Uh, so introduce yourselves quickly. I, well, what do we do? Starting with you, Simon, hmm. you're, you're an illustrator, you're a broadcaster, you're a music maker, you are so many things. What gets you most excited creatively in the land of storytelling? In the land of storytelling? Emotion, connection, I think. And, and, and you know what? The space between disciplines, so the crossover, which is why we, we ended up talking about intertwingularity. It was it was the way that everything connects together. So for me, because I do illustration, because I do writing, I do a bit of everything, which means that I don't get much done because I'm wavering between them all the time. Um, but that is the most exciting. Just like music styles, the most exciting music is the, are those that cross genres. Yeah, we all have a soft spot for, for atmospheric music, don't we? Lee, you make music as well as being an actor, comedian, host, event I'm going to say event designer because it sounds particularly swank. You've made loads of different things happen, and I particularly love your Corner of the Eye shows. Uh, Which which creative space gets you most um, excited, inspired? 
it's quite hard it's all of it isn't it because i i was talking to somebody yesterday about how i can't just see simple things i seem to somehow look into everything which is why i failed at maths physics all the rest of it so i look beyond always beyond why 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 and i think it's the same with stories and storytelling it's all humanity uh you know obviously inanimate objects have their own story which we are unplucking ourselves which are also fascinating i.e science but um humanity is has its story to tell and every single human on this planet has its own story and um i take it from that being a, a comedy walkabout act i build stories on tables um and uh, talk to people and find out a little bit about themselves and in order to make it comedic in some sense and, and tap into that who they are but you know you i've get heard you slice. do this i do yeah. hear you do this yes you can be yeah, you get a little slice of a story but i mean it, it's it's massive i i take it from all angles um yeah storytelling is everywhere well, and trying to get, yeah, trying to focus on stuff is, you're right, I think for all of us in a way, we do find that hard. And it's not simply because life gets in the way and there's grown up things to deal with, but also just the possibilities can make us go a bit, uh, uh, <laughs> and I think that your shows, Lee, Corner of the Eye, dear viewer, listener, I do recommend you look up on Mixcloud, Corner of the Eye, your mixes of, uh, your selections for atmospherics, musical choices are some of my favorite shows ever there is of course a momo one from years ago as well which was a very nice privilege to be on but uh, i particularly like the is it the jungles one which one is it with all the really jungly stuff on it what yeah, is that cor corner of the exotica isn't it that one yes. i think yeah and it's lots of les baxter it's all that kind of old king kong you know jungle tribal stuff going on um, all the things that are probably utterly banned by now but um <laughs> I, I, I love it it's just beautiful all of the I, music is fantastic i do yeah, and Andy, Andy I, Robbins I, loved, I loved the one that you uh, did with um it was Lyca. remember when Lyca was in space hmm. and you did that wonderful collection where you did that link where it was like Lyca's owner was sending messages up to yeah, with my with my dodgy Russian accent. Yeah. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> I, I agree. And there's the, another one you did, uh, To the Moon, Behind the Moon, The Backside of the Moon. I can't remember what it was called now. Yeah, and there's another one called Moon on a Stick, which was the original corner of the eye. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's really fun. It's great creating, and like you say, a story. Um, Simon, you, you do this anyway, and Andy, you do this, and Timo, you do this in, in everything you do. But just for a radio show, it's only a radio show, but, I've, you know, you can play music, but it's, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, that's music. But what about connecting the dots? And yeah. <clears throat> unfortunately, yeah. that's the kind of like the opposite of intertwinkularity in a weird way. You don't want to pigeonhole stuff. That's exactly what Corn of the Eye kind of did was pigeonhole a theme and tell a story within it. But it was connecting the dots. And, and, and every selection that comes along with those is a great piece of musical storytelling just through music selection. Uh, but we've all done, you guys in particular, have all done a lot of broadcasting and podcasts. What, what shows have you done? And what podcasts are you still regularly appearing on, Simon? Um, Semi-regular on the Strangers in Space podcast, which was originally the Blue Box podcast for Starburst magazine. Uh, but we uh, we kind of went out on our own. Um, and that essentially, at its heart, is a Doctor Who podcast. Mm. Um, but, you know, we, we've been doing it over 10 years, I think, now. Which means that, you know, you do get to the point where you want a bit of a break from doctor who <laughs> well you know you we, need we've to... done very well considering you have and you've got to draw breath on doctor who because next year it's going to be um massive it's the 60th and that means gentlemen all of us were in some way involved with andy your incredible project 
which is now going to be celebrating 10 years uh, uh, seasons of war. What was that? Well, Seasons of War was both uh, a wonderful anthology book, um, raising money for a very worthwhile children's charity. And that involved a, a, a number of uh, authors, including um, Simon and Lee, contributed um, some beautiful stories. You really did. And I was, I was sort of co-opted by Simon uh, along the way to create... I think what originally was going to be a, a kind of a little book trailer, basically to to kind of um, uh, to kind of promote um, the book itself. But it it sort of took on a life of its own, really, because uh, Muggins here just thought, "Well, oh, this is an opportunity to make my own episode of Doctor Who." So I got a little bit carried away, and you did. Pulled, you really pulled, did. Pulled <laughs> all you three lovely gentlemen in. I mean, all of you were. Um, crucial central to, to to making this happen and it did end up a little bit like tail wagging the dog in the, in the <laughs> sense in, in the sense that we yeah we crafted this lovely um five six minute piece of doctor who which um the fans seem to have really taken to heart it's it's on youtube uh, dear listener if you want to uh, go and explore it um it and um uh, and and we all know what uh, Doctor Who fans are like when they love or they don't love something. So um, they can sometimes sort of express an opinion. It's true. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, they're um, they're one rung down from maybe Star Wars fans in sort of the uh, the, the level of um, uh, shall we say? Um, uh, um, Do it. Critical, <laughs> critical comments. I don't know, but also, also in there is Star Trek fans, and they they've certainly yes. had some moments in the last few years. I would That's say. That's true. Yeah. So, so actually, we did, we did rather well, actually, or rather, we got off scot free. I'm not. It's, it's one or the other, really. It's um, a few, It's a just a quickly. I was going to say just just to quickly interject. I mean, if you look at all the comments underneath the film on YouTube, it's quite unusual. It, it is massively unusual for a fan-based project to have so much positivity. I don't. Mm. I think you only ever had one negative comment um, <laughs> out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of positive comments saying this is the best Doctor Who fan thing I've seen. So you know, massive pat on the back to you, Andy. I mean, I don't want to be blowing smoke up this podcast oh, people's no, no, answers, please, but, please, um, please it, do <laughs> what are friends for if not that storytelling wise it's excellent i was gonna say Thank the you. only negative discussion i ever saw was people arguing as to whether it should be classed as canon or not yeah that's right and that and that's yeah. it mm. and, th and that as you say that one comment which kind of it was lovely because we saw it kind of got lost in the sway <laughs> of positive comments and everyone just sort of, everyone just sort of ignored it it was great it was really really lovely thing it really was and in that sense all all of us are used to telling stories trying to and by that i mean the real mechanics of it coming up with an idea uh then trying to work through how you first structure it then how you get into the grain of rewrites and remakes to get something that really does effectively work and in a way well, class discussed. Does science fiction teach us how to do this particularly well? We really get under the skin of ideas, world building, as well as emotional truth in science fiction. Am I right? Is that sci-fi really helped us all to do better work? 
Yeah, it has. Um, but all sci-fi writers are very different again. So you'll have some very um, uh, exploratory and, you know, lo lots of diction, lots of Flor lots of poetry coming out of someone like Ray Bradbury um, mm. and then it'll have something completely different you know coming out of another author like Banks or whatever but it's everybody writes very very differently but they're all trading on the same kind of uh, fiction writing standards that have been set down over the ages but it's the way you tell that story and the way you introduce that story the first I'm a librarian, right? 27 years. I've tried to encourage people to read when they come through the door and they're like, oh, I don't read. So, right, pick that book up, read the first line. If it grabs you, keep reading. If, if Paragraph, keep reading. Page, keep reading. And if you don't get past the first page, put it down, try another one, right? That's the best way, I think. I was just spat on that. The best way, I think, of... Um, <laughs> nice. It's, it's, the it's the details that bring things alive as a professional broadcast. I'm getting so excited. Um, <laughs> you know, you can hear what I'm saying here. That's the best way of, of, you know, if you can capture somebody on the first line, the first paragraph, the first page, and then continue like that, um, no matter what you're doing, then it's absolutely, you're getting, you're getting it right. And before you know it, you finish the very hungry cat caterpillar. <laughs> <laughs> I keep going back to it. it it's Stick got your fingers there. through the holes, everything. It's just brilliant. Stick your fingers through the holes. If that isn't no kind of... I want to put that as the new topic lead on our, like, Slack thread. <laughs> uh, Andy, how have you started with the first line of a script or a story? Oh, uh, a writer staring at a blank page. Oh, my God. You know, you've just... Um just giving me cold sweats there um <laughs> i didn't mean to freeze you no, but i mean you know about punching in you've got to grab people with a you know the star destroyer coming over do the interesting bit don't go back and yeah. make three films about the boring bits you said you wouldn't do right <laughs> so how so how do you jump in under the star destroyer with pew pew when you're writing stories i mean it, it you know for all writers i think all creators really it really does boil down to the idea it, it it's that it's that core acorn that seed that um hopefully propagates and, and 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 fires you up so for instance um you know going back to something like seasons of war um we're we're left with an idea of well how do we describe this particular doctor which is the war doctor which wasn't really explored within the tv series and it was our friend our mutual friend Declan May's idea to um, say, well, within within that uh, idea of the war dogs, we've got lots of wriggle room because we haven't seen this person. So the the the, the nub of the idea was to create um, uh, an idea around uh, a doctor that we haven't seen, but come at, it at a more oblique angle and say, well, what? influence what effect does the doctor have on other people's lives and i think we saw that a little bit at the end of the power of the doctor when mm. we've got that wonderful scene with all the companions all seated together we'd never really seen that before and then you suddenly realize this this character the doctor has huge influence over people's lives that he and she um, makes contact with so uh, that, that uh, was the love of the idea it um, was a good acorn that wasn't it i think right at the end yeah. of that whole well the right at the end of jo jody's kind of tenure as the doctor suddenly there's a cracking single idea i tend to call this the napkin show me the napkin something you, you could draw really simply a shape or a single line 
on whatever you've got to hand in a restaurant. Simon, if you had some great napkins, what things have... (laughs) I don't know whether that sounds like a well-phrased question. I don't know. But, uh, uh, tell me, have you had any great napkins, Simon? <laughs> I think for me, if I, I, I've done a fair few short stories, and it's always about that idea and whether that's a sci-fi idea. Usually it's a thought experiment at, at the heart of it. And yeah. usually, you know, I, I wrote a story where it was a particular character who was in a time loop. Another time loop. Oh, another time loop. No. Um and uh he's here all week folks simon you are in a time loop at the moment idea of a a character i I think this is a story that's never actually been published because i think it's one of the ones i put in for a big finish competition or something of this character who was revisiting a house so that ended up being multiple versions of the same person (laughs) at different stages of their life (laughs) because the new one would always (laughs) He's yes. writing this down. He's enthusiastically <laughs> he writing this down. <laughs> yeah, what is it? What's that very boring old quote that good people come up with ideas and geniuses steal? Well, there is Rawlings. Frozen in time, according to the screen. But He's uh, actually, it has literally frozen in time. Uh, if you're listening to this, there's no impact at all. Uh, I must have created a listener. paradox of some kind. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a good freeze frame if you are watching the video. But yes. you can work work like hell at a sci-fi idea um, of something being very clever. You know, let's, let's look at Stephen Moffat's um, Heaven Sent, in which the Doctor is uh, going through a process, and then every time he dies... He appears in the transporter again, so you get another doctor trying to solve the same problem. Yes, but that idea, as clever as it is, and they're the ones that they do excite me. But you've got to go full circle, and you've got to come back to what that means emotionally, and you know the, that human element yes. of what it's all about. It ends up that that whole story is about is about grief. Um, and what I find is uh, that I'll I'll get an idea which is you know fairly intricate, and I t- I spend ages and ages sweating over making sure this idea makes sense in its own world. As such, it doesn't necessarily have to make sense in the real world, but as long as it makes sense in that world that I'm creating, then as long as that works, and then I'm go full circle. So it's that thing of you've almost got to go away from reality to come back to it. Yeah, and it's that truth which is what makes the connection with the reader. Emotional truth is a phrase I keep coming back to, and I think it's extremely relevant for storytelling in our, in our times. And, and when it comes to sci-fi, the classic thing over decades and decades sci-fi tends to fall into is exposition, getting tripped up on the idea at the expense of emotional nuance. But the, the best stories have both a single idea. They go, oh, I get what you're doing here. But then to explore the human implications of it i've always said that the episodes of star trek i most enjoy that are the ones that they've got no budget for where they're just hanging about on the ship and un- unblocking the loose to me that that idea of warp time where you you're, you're where you're treading out the miles is much more interesting than the wham bam stuff mm. Mm. Those, early, those early star trek films are all about family you know yes mm. exactly exactly I was going to say that, um, I mean, obviously sci-fi is is the core thing that uh, links um, all of us together. But um, in terms of why sci-fi rather than um, any other sort of uh, 
creative or literary genre. I think it really is because of that wriggle room. Um, I mean, often science fiction has been kind of looked down at from, uh, you know, regular literature as being um, not worthy. But actually, I think in a way, it has it has a wriggle room that um, conventional literature, maybe conventional filmmaking doesn't have because it can deal with purely ideas. It can say what if yeah. in a way um, other other forms can't. And within that space, you know, you can explore anything. I mean, it's Timo, it's what you've been doing with your um, most recent project, which might yeah. be might yes a bit of a segue there got to imagine that's going to pay off later dear viewer listener hold that thought uh yeah <laughs> yes exactly right i know just what you're saying about that and it, it's why i'm finding science fiction an interesting theme for our times because with all my research looking at planet stuff climate communicating social impact storytelling the big take home for me from just wanting to make something about a, a little musical about sci-fi is we're not looking forward anymore. What do you guys think about that sort of macro challenge of this uh, this current almost obsession with retrospective nostalgia, which which we've I think we've all enjoyed, but I think it's time now. I think it's time to uh, start moving forward with it all. And um, you know, I, I think the the you know, we've got our Star Wars, we've got our Marvel, we've got all these TV shows and everything being made, stuff that we could never have dreamt of as a child yeah. being created now. Um, and the initial, you know, if you think about the the, the last three Star Wars films um, and people were surprised how nostalgic they were, I, I it was no surprise at all to me that yeah. that's what they would. But it has enabled. And then, and then we now look at, and all the latest TV series that's been done, and this is Star Wars moving forward and growing up and yeah. um, approaching things, you know, proper storytelling, proper depth, and uh, looking for intelligence from the viewer. So Star Wars is moving on. I think the rest of us need to as well. Um, but it is Beautiful. incredibly, with the times we live in, it's incredibly difficult to look forward, it has to be said. Yeah, I was going to say that I think Star Wars is finding itself in the TV format. And for years, I wrote it off as this beautiful vision that had nothing to say. And suddenly, I'm realising that incredibly world-built uh, universe of Star Wars is a fantastic setting for really doing sci-fi now. That This idea of a sort of broken economic universe with fascist overtones always lurking and this sense of sort of spiritual connection to the cosmos, which I used to think was just cod. Now I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is possibly the best sandbox to look mm -hmm. at where we're at right now. Amazing. Lee, what do you think? Well, I, I burnt my mushrooms this morning. Um, no, hear me out. So... Okay, I love mushrooms, right? And they taste absolutely fantastic when they're cooked just right. Oh. Now, I made the mistake of popping the mushrooms in my frying pan and going to do my hair, what little I have. Um, and then when I came down, I'd burnt my mushrooms. Right? Oh. So, to, so, you know, the metaphor is pretty obvious, I feel, that um, I attended See? my 
to my vanity uh, upstairs and, and I burnt the thing that I could have made in the future really tasty and nice. Mm. Instead, I left it on the hot pan of ignorance and, and <laughs> hot-headedness of, uh, of the people that seem to be in charge of the mushrooms, our future. Um, so Turns out it's you, you poor sap. And it was me all along. So oh, you know, you but I had along. the I had the power to change the future of that tasty mushroom, right? So um, if we, this is the point. If we if we leave ourselves in the hands of other people doing things for us and being apathetic, then our future is going to burn. It's not going to work. It's, it, it never mm. has worked. We believe in it to people who don't really don't know what they're doing, and they're they're just all about themselves. Their vanity, themselves, just leaving it. Yeah, it'd be fine. Um, we'll let other people sort it out, and oh forget it let's just get the media involved they'll sort it out so you know it's it's mm. it's it's us we're the important people we're the people that you know care about where we're going and what the future is and we need to start a revolution <laughs> i agree but so it, I, I suggest we all wear mushroom hats though uh, mushrooms are very <laughs> symbolic for now look last night i went to see uh, an amazing bit of live theater uh it was called illegal dance and it was um it was a, a brand new sort of multimedia. I don't like the phrase multimedia, but uh, live production by uh, Tony Adigan. He was the choreographer. It was, it kind of blew us away. It was just in Pavilion Dance in Bournemouth, where I've seen so many great little productions. And they very simply used projection and sound. We listened to sound on headphones and actually had two scores to keep jumping between to contrast mm. different ways of hearing. Yeah, it, it, it could have been distracting and it, actually it made you look at it differently i mean just incredible physical movements just a seven piece troupe uh and it is this idea a bit like footloose that dance is now illegal but uh the the tone it set immediately was oh dear lord just yeah this is it feels like this is the truth being peeled back in our times the underbelly of economics not just for the last 40 years of sort of post-Reagan and Thatcher economics, but actually the last 200 industrialised years of the economics, the last 400 years of merchant capitalism, the last, you know, 10,000 years of hierarchical valuation where we're all in boxes and bits of meat. Ah, it feels like it's all coming out at the moment. And the line they had in headphones right near the end was, imagine if uh, all self-expression was illegal. Imagine if the artists were seen as criminals actually art is how we fight back and i did this little fist pull when they said that <laughs> it's over we want to start a revolution lee but how are we you know andy how do we start a revolution with storytelling isn't is is that how do we show where do we oh i need to sit down <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot isn't it I, I, I just want to fry some mushrooms right now that's oh, really um, me too that's, it is sunday morning <laughs> The storytelling is being told by the wrong people at the moment. We've got we've got yes. the media. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's it. So it's you know we need to start a, a paper for a start. <laughs> Get a national paper up together of truth <laughs> and real stuff and nice mm. things and you know Timmy the Turtle walks again is quite nice. You know at the end of a of, a, of something on telly. But what you want is lots of those hopey mm. chatty things. All of those yeah. things that are positive. It's it's an injection of negativity that we get every single day. Even when I pull up at the garage, I get really cross looking in those plastic things and seeing all this tabloid rubbish. Just mm. it is it is rubbish. Come and get me. Um, and then uh, it, you know you're sitting there going, oh, 
and it just brings you down and if that brings me down just by looking at it like 20 feet away what about the people that are reading it and being influenced all the time by this junk that's coming out exactly pump it into your brains it it does it does really come back to to narratives this this is the the sort of working thesis that um I know uh, Tim and myself have really subscribed to what I think we all do on, on this podcast, which is basically um, that everything, everything, everyone, every, everything that has consciousness, every, every, every human being, every element of our lives boils down in essence to a story, a narrative. Yeah. What is, what is the narrative of this person? What's their story? Or what are they trying to convey? What story are they trying to push onto you? So yeah. you, pass, you pass the news agents and you see the tabloid headlines. They're, they're, you know, they're owned by particular people who have particular mm. views that they want to push across, and they're using that as a, as a narrative device do you think yeah do you think they might, the billionaires who own almost all our press might have an agenda or some things they want to say it's it's possible it's possible um and and then if everything really does boil down to a narrative and how we um behave and how we're influenced and how our lives are shaped how we shape our lives does come down to effectively a story Mm. whether it's as you say timo the story that we think we're in or whether it's a story that we're presented and we swallow mm. um it's all about stories so in order to affect change we've got to tell a better story than the other person we've got to tell a more compelling story yeah um because because we are story driven um creatures we we yeah. we, we we buy in to the story that we feel is most palatable. We do it every four or so years when we vote at a general election. But we do it. We do it on a daily basis. We 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 buy a product because we convince ourselves. We create a narrative in our own head that this is this thing that we're about to buy online is something that's going to that we really need that mm. is going to transform our lives. Yeah. Um, and we're helped along by the narrative of a commercial. Or, or an advert and aren't they don't you think they're boring now as well like it, maybe it's just my age but it feels like everything is more of a the retreads are more and more shallow every time the adverts come out and i can't believe any young people buying into those stories is it is it me or is everything just tired or is it just me <laughs> yeah, as well yeah. <laughs> we're tired <laughs> but isn't everybody it feels to me like the, the spirit of the age is everyone's tired and it half don't want to admit it hmm slightly zombified aren't we but i um, think so well look i we have all worked together on lots of different projects over the years uh one of them that you've given great support to to me about is the thing that got me into this whole looking at the world waking up huh maybe i should have thought about the planet i live on and my way into that was dear viewer listener i've said this many times you probably remember was a music project simply meant to be the third album by momo tempo it is, of course, called The Shape of Things to Hum. I have, of course, still in no way finished it. But, <laughs> but I, it's like this thing I talk about now forever. Oh, yeah, it's things. Yeah, that's right. When I'm 80, I still have head of horn department, Pat Hayes, going, oh, it is going to happen, mate. So, look, but, but in this sort of vaguely not at all Christmassy looking special, I wanted you guys on because I have, I have done something over the summer with a little bit of time off. 
that I can't really afford to tune into the cosmos. What should I do? And uh, I, I drafted something and I've sent it to you. And it's a good excuse to uh, share with all of us the beginning of the new brand and some stories about what I want to do with this thing. So are, are you buckled in? Do you want to see the first ever sting for the Ooh. shape of things to hum? Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Come on. Strap in. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Sci-fi. Am I just cold or was that? <laughs> I got chills. Was that, was that a future ghost? <laughs> now, I'm always, I'm always having a go at terrible logos at the beginning of films that overstate their case when they're just a logo. I might have slightly overstated <laughs> the case musically, therefore, when it's just a logo. But when that came together, I sort of got quite excited at the end of the summer. Ah, oh, it looks real. It looks like a West End show. And... Um, we have worked on, especially you and I, Andy, we've worked on uh, a test project, five songs to help us unsee the future, an alarming number of years ago now, where we tested this principle of your film and my musical show kind of working together. But I've taken it to another step. I've only gone and written an entire script for a cabaret musical with characters. And I, well, as a tee-up, I sent it to you guys, and the tee-up is this. I've got an old mate who was the first person I formed a band with, Steve Payne, and I've quoted this many times. He said, hey, Timo, you know, that, you know that time when you've just written a new idea for a song? You've had a napkin for a song. And went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're really excited about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the best thing you've ever written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, under no circumstances whatsoever, send it to anyone at this point. <laughs> And so I hit send to you three jokers immediately. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know what you make of it. So this is, this is a safe space. Uh, I've written a musical. What did first impressions of the bits you've glimpsed at? What did you think? Who's going to speak first? Tumbleweed. It's <laughs> a great start. <laughs> I, mean... I feel great already. <laughs> He's gone. Hang on, hang on. Can you hear me? Was right. it something I said? Yeah. No, my battery's just started on my camera. So you've I'm just... either, you're either evolved or regressed into a, <laughs> no. an avatar. No, that was a perfect, perfect punchline <laughs> out of my. Right. So, my so while, he's, while he's away, visually, what did you think of it? No one's listening, are they? <laughs> <laughs> Ambitious. Oh, he's back now. Ambitious <laughs> is the word. I kept thinking, blimey, this is ambitious. Whoa, that's ambitious. Brechtian. Brechtian. Good Lord, that Brechtian. sounds... Brechtian. Mm. Yeah, it is, though, isn't it? It's so it's epic. It's telling you... It's, it's didactic. Um, it's it really all, is. It is, yeah. But it's got all of these wonderfully massive themes. It feels like a big Greek tragedy with... Uh, do you know what? I'm not even going to begin to see, shout out influences. It's got everything in it. But um, anyway, there's, there's, there's even big Dickens in there. Bit of big Dickens, Dickens in there, yeah. Bit of Dickens too. I love, love Dickens. It's it's massive and it's not one musical. It's a Harry Potter part one, part two. It's so big, it just feels massive. And I got lost in the first. Are you ready for this? I got yeah. lost in the first 
few pages. You remember talking about pages? Yeah. I didn't, I wasn't grabbed only because I knew exactly where you were going with it and I could see it, but there was a massive, um, not an info dump, but, um, a dialogue dump very very there's lots of things to take in very very quickly yeah so um i don't know whether you're doing like an introduction of in the year 2099 so it kind of sets the audience up a little bit and really gives you an idea of what's happening before they sit down or you want to just bracket in them and just go listen you're intelligent work it out (laughs) no you're so i want my money back Yeah, you know what we said earlier about the, the, the easiest trap for sci-fi writers to fall into is didactic um, uh, exposition. Yeah, so I did loads of that in the opening scene. Uh, but I don't know how you guys find first drafts. I wanted to get from A to Z and have a version where I knew I'd done that. So I'd set it up, and it was all in there. And now I need to go and pair back, probably most yeah. especially that opening scene. But at least I felt like I've covered it. It's all in there. There's yeah. a kind of bloated <clears throat> first version. How do you there, get? There is a rule amongst writing that first draft is for you, yeah, and for you alone. So Every you've broken that rule straight <laughs> away. <laughs> you, you, you. I have no self control after thirty years of making stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Get this. What, so don't don't burn out your dopamine, please. Don't do it. No, no. I, that's I, why I. I that's think... why I keep things to myself. But, <laughs> yeah, maybe too much. Maybe you keep things to yourself too much, there, Simon. Mm. Oh yeah, more than likely. I think I Tim. I think your mate was wrong. Um, I, um, yeah. The, the 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 received wisdom is yeah. You never show anyone your first draft. You know, you get it to a certain point, and you know it's presentable and polished, and you've worked out all your themes and your strands and your threads, and then you start sending it to you know sort of trusted people. Mm-hmm. I think it's really really difficult when you've. Um, rewritten and polished too much to change stuff later on because you've you've put the work in and you won't want to change it you you won't because because no no this is how it needs to be i I polished that bit until it starts to shine and now he's telling me that it doesn't work Mm. um you need to be careful who you send the first draft to you 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 they they need to be people who are trusted people whose opinions you value who are, go- who are going to give you Think feedback yeah. in, in a yeah <laughs> I, I have no idea why you've sent it to us but no <laughs> i just you were, we were on a thread we were talking i got carried away uh, <laughs> i still have no perspective like an adult maker but never mind listen can we just get this in perspective for for people watching or listening they, they, who haven't seen the draft um it's 88 pages isn't it something like that yeah, it's two acts. It's two acts two that acts, adds eight, up eight. to mm, about an hour and a half, I think, probably totally together. Yeah, mm. yeah. But with, with scene changes, because we're talking, we're not talking simple scene changes, we're talking Star Wars scene changes. They are, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't even envision how this is going to work um, without lots of money and it being Western. It is a Western. We're talking you, genre hopping we're, scene we're talk- changes, aren't we? Yeah, we're talking, you know, you, Simon said ambitious. It's not only ambitious, if this came to the stage, it would be the best thing on the stage. But 
it, it but how will it ever come to the state? How will it come to the state? So, well. I mean, there are, there are ways because you, when you did the first thing that we went to, which was like a, a kind of an introduction to this, yeah. um, and we all went in blindfolded, it was really, really cool, all these sorts of things, and we just heard, and then we pulled the blindfolds down, and then there you were, like this fantastic winged goddess um, in, in a white suit, dancing around, prancing about, singing songs. It was amazing, right? It was really mind blowing. Um, and you had a message to tell, and that was quite concise. This has got um, not just a message, but a lot of messages all mm. in. All This is basically all of Unsee the Future, isn't it? It's everything you've ever thought about in one big cabaret play. So yeah. it's going yeah, it to be amazing, but, um, you know, obviously you're going to need to rewrite it, um, which... I'd like to put the question to you. Mm. How are you going to feel going back to those 88 pages and putting even more or, or stripping it down perhaps or making it move in a different way or repacing it or whatever? Well, that's the chat. How do we all find rewrites? Because obviously we know that most, I think the most films on that, that arrive are miracles, even when, even bad ones, how they got funded, how they got everybody involved, how everyone got in some way paid. And then films that are genuinely emotionally connecting and immersive how how did how did any story get past the process of all those different people most of whom are producers <laughs> how did how do great films get past bloody producers who were just thinking about corporate bottom line and and markets uh, to make something that changes our lives we're, we're back to that andy's point about who you send your first draft to you just don't send them to producers you edit you edit yeah. for them so they only hear the good bits. But from a creative point of view, you you, you need, I, I think you do need early feedback. So yeah. it was very brave, uh, but also bold of you to, to send it out in at this stage. But I think this is where you get the, mo the, the most feedback. I don't know how much we are supposed to say about the, the, the plot of the story at this stage. Should we be just keeping it? somewhat you under wraps or no you can a bit i mean i think the structure we're, we're fine to talk about and it is very much um i mean if i if i quickly fill in it is the shape of things to hum the inception of it was simply ah music album by momo tempo loads of us love science fiction why don't i use my goofy playful alternative electro pop to explore the many worlds of sci-fi how do i structure it every song's a different theme of science fiction boom and then as i did it i just found myself getting more um those different what ifs started speaking to me collectively and i realized it was going to be sort of saying something else so i went mad and made a book i turned it into a sort of brand bible uh, because i felt it was going to be more than just the album at the heart of it here's some of the stills if you're watching the video the shape of things to hum um and uh it felt to me like it was going to be a stage experience as well as an album and the structure of the album, as I've now got it down, is my voice, like the ghost of Future Shock, this central narrative character leading you around the underworld of different futures. He's on the on the album, and there's loads of tracks, but the, the full musical version, he's joined, he takes our central sort of character, Jack, on a tour of the underworld. And I've deliberately set it up to be a bit didactic or to get away with that by mm. making it a Greek tragedy or uh, Dante's Inferno for sort of cabaret where the ghost of Future Shock is like the ghost of Christmas past or future. He's also um, Virgil leading Dante through the underworld. And then it, we we've meet these other guides who are like 
new sentinels for a new future and, and jack and the ghost go looking for them so it's it really is set up like a sort of greek tragedy you're right mm. wizard of oz it is yeah. wizard of oz another reference yeah. yes definitely so it's great can... it's great I, it's, I, it's I, what I, it is it's mind-blowing is what it is you know, I, it, to, to, andy i just need to quickly say it took yeah, me nearly half a day to read it um and that's around about four hours right oh, God, because, mate, i'm sorry <laughs> no no you know Kill me, me. I, you know me i look i look beyond anyway so I, i'm reading like two or three pages and i sent it to simon and said oh and, and then came back and the and that was the first quick few pages but then after that i had to spend time per mm. scene really ingesting and thinking about it and also trying to visualize it because you know what i'm like um you know I'll, I'll try and visualize things on the stage and see how it would work but uh it was you know, i want this to be i genuinely want to see this it's got to happen um so if anybody is watching this has got piles of money and wants to take on the best project they'd ever ever be involved with Cameron Macintosh? <laughs> you, well, need to, you need to talk to timo because it's it's incredible but I, the ambition I have is a, huge well thank you i have i do have a kind of i will sort of say at the end a bit about how i'm structuring this up to try and get to this full musical stage but um also the structure of it physically is pretty simple and andy we have tested this haven't we lee you mentioned this five songs to yeah. help us answer the future oh. andy i commissioned you to write an, a filmic element to this and i gave you just a handful of themes that i wanted to explore and a sort of broad starting point and then you went away and wrote a film a short film for um the shape of things to hum for the live experience that put the heart and soul into the live experience with an extraordinary moment we won't give away. But every time I explained that moment, just explained it to people over the desk with my book, everybody went, wow. So, and then we tested it, the, at least the structure of pulling focus between goofy live music and mm. filmic backdrop at five songs. How did that go, that experience? It would, yeah, I mean, well, we were all there for the actual uh, live experience itself, um, uh, a sort of a, a cut down, um, but in, in, in some ways, a, a very pure version of uh, mm. the shape of things. Um, um, uh, and, this, and this is one of the things that I love about the idea that it can be scaled at so many different levels. And I, I know you'll talk about that in a, in a bit, but um, yeah, five songs was just really uh, taking a selection of the songs from from the album, um, presenting it in a in a much more sort of a, a musical presentation, interspersed with um, some film sequences that I did for uh, this character, the Martian artist. Yeah, um, it's bizarre actually because tonally, it the the, the shifts between my film. And what goes on stage are, are are huge. Yes. And I often I thinking about this recently. I think yeah. I I, I suddenly feel like the the middle aged grown up, um, in, you know, in, in a group of people that are just goofing around and having um, a great time. How and dare I'm, you? How and I'm dare saying, you? And I'm saying now, now, now for the serious bit. You know, just. That is quietened down while, while we have my sci-fi <laughs> drama because it really is very much odds. I mean, I've got my the, the, the way that we've shot this kind of prologue version is like very mm. naturalistic, very kind of straight on. Um, and then suddenly there's you know, um, electro disco music, and um, 
<laughs> yeah, no, I can see why you might think on paper that won't work. But it, but in the room, it did work, didn't it? It, it did seem to work, yeah. I mean, and I think this is the, the value of uh, testing. Yeah. Um, what, what we did is we, you know, we took a, a, the, the nub of the idea and were able to, to present it to an audience who had, most of whom had very little, if anything, to do with the project. So they were coming in completely fresh. Yeah. And, and, and to get their idea. And actually, the, 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 real, the real connective tissue between the filmed inserts and the, the stage musical elements wasn't really there because we'd, we hadn't been able to kind of film a, a true proper finale that brings all these elements together as we would in the final yeah. Um, well, and so considering, yeah, it, 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 it worked. The part in the script where we where we do read that culmination of that story of the Martian artist was a punch the air moment for me. Mm. It was like, oh, oh, this is where it is. This is where the so it's it's going to be a, a case of getting those two roads and and finding how they actually meet. Mm, I think that's going to. I think that's going to be your sweet spot, and I feel it is because I know when I've described that scene to people without mm. without the music. But you've you have all heard the piece of music contact that when Andy wrote the script, I immediately swiveled from I've read his script to computer made this piece of music, sent it straight back to him. And this is what it made me think of, and that that yeah. piece, uh, you know, I wrote it right near the beginning. Contact really works with what Andy's beautifully written and now knowing it so well when I read it in this context of the whole narrative uh it got to me bits of the reading back my own story with your story in it Andy really got to me recently so um how did you feel about it being reading the Martian artist in amongst where I've placed it in the in the rest of the kind of strange cabaret I, yeah, I think structurally it, it works. Again, um, as, as Simon was saying, um, initially you, you are getting these big tonal shifts from what's happening on a stage to what's happening on a, on a projected screen. And because the, the characters on the stage are not really referring to what happens on the screen, particularly mm. in, the, in, the, in the early um, parts of the, of, of the the stage show they they do feel very separate actually obviously thematically they're they're, they're very much uh, intertwined because the martian artist basically um creates a uh an artistic an art creates an artistic gesture that that that, that galvanizes and, and unites people basically yes and it's incredible um, and that's and that's very much kind of a, a parallel journey for, for, for Jack, making sense. Mm. You, Martian artist is using art to make sense of her own personal space and, and the world around her. And Jack is being led on this journey to make sense of um, uh, some inner stuff that she's working through, yeah. but also trying to work out the, the wider world as well so so mm. they're, they're going along parallel tracks but you don't really know how they're knitting together until very much at the end and at the end you've you've got characters actually directly referencing what we've seen in the martian artist yeah for me very quickly this won't mean much to the listener where it really 
where I really felt that it, it stepped up a gear in terms of the musical and actually was really firing some ideas for me about what was going to work was around about scene 10 when we get the idea that Jack is actually in a part of an unfinished book that she was writing an unfinished novel very matter and, and, and there were elements that were coming in and now that really kind of fired up something for me that maybe Wait. in a story conference at another time we we can talk about in a bit more detail because i yeah. think some of those elements could be brought closer to the start mm. and actually would make more sense in terms of the the various locales that she's i do feel going to. yeah i mean there's something you do in the later stages of writing is that you start regressively seeding yes and you look at what happens at the end and, and, and you start seeding backwards that second but draft make, second make no draft, yeah. yeah yeah absolutely um but make no bones about it this this whole thing is about the validity of art yeah and it's fighting for the validity of art and that's kind mm. of at the heart of the martian artist story in some respects mm. but it's yeah. it's and i suppose if you've got any mission it's to bridge that gap between what people think is just going on in their minds, their thoughts, what they're watching on television. Yeah. That's one thing, but it has nothing to do with reality. Yeah. But actually the, the, the two are completely intermingled. Yes. Because unfortunately what seems to happen, this is an idea that's just kind of popped in my head. And I'm sorry if I'm talking absolute B word, but is the problem that the people who are getting places and making things happen are the ones with no imagination because they see no issue with doing what's in their head and what's out there in the real world because they think, oh, that's all that matters. The one thing that really winds me up is people who say, I don't like science fiction, it's a load of rubbish. Mm. Because you think, right, you have no imagination <laughs> and, and that you do not have the creativity or the, the, the oomph to think that something that you appears in your head could actually be real. But I think they're Nothing scared of it. Mm. I think they're scared of opening up. It's like being, uh, I mean, when I do my comedy waiter, one of the first things I learnt, clown, is to find your inner child and just be silly again. So, mm. you know, I was acting like a baby on a stage and all that. It's really embarrassing stuff. But you, you break that down, you bring it out. So then I can be foolish and, and I can look foolish and I can be... Uh, you know, people sincerely think that I'm foolish and childish mm -hmm. and they, they buy into the story. They buy it really, really quickly. And I think, you know, you need to allow yourself that. I think every human on the planet is creative. We all tell stories. Everybody tells a story on their mobile phone every three seconds. We're all storytellers. It's yeah. just knowing where the story needs to go. Like Timo's trying to say, it's like guiding people and saying, you know, okay, you this is a good example in COVID, isn't it? Where they said, oh, artists, we could just have to train to do another job. And then everybody went, wait a minute. What about mm. all that free TV, free art? Who do you think made all this stuff? Yeah. You know, yeah, there's a whole load of technicians involved and woodwork people making the scenes or what have you. But, you know, creatively, there are actors on the stage entertaining you for a year for free or whatever. Um, there are graphic designers doing this. There are painters doing mm. that. You know, these are artists. These are the people you are saying, oh, yeah. they, they, they don't mean anything. And that's because there's a gap between, like Simon said, there is this strange gap between people who generally look at art and think it's all poncy uh, and people who just want to accept the fact that, oh, okay, the government's doing everything or somebody boring is doing it, so we'll just go toe the line. But we will make use and and look at things that are creative mm. um, because, you know, and it, let's just say that the top-selling 
uh, films of all time are all science fiction based, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah. Apart from possibly Titanic by a science fiction <laughs> lover. But, you know, it's if you think about it, they are all sci-fi. Everything is a science fiction. It's a what if. It's Marvel is sci-fi, fantasy is sci-fi. You know, it's science fiction, fantasy, all the same kind of thing, really. Well, but, and, uh, and that's, I, I guess, the point that led me to, in a way, that science fiction is having its time now, in that we are... Uh, we're now not just using it to think of, oh, progress, we could have jet age, we could have robot manservants. Uh, but actually, we need to, we're in a crisis of imagination, and I'm hearing that mm. phrase used a lot more. So that's why I'm a lot more interested in solar punk than in cyberpunk, because cyberpunk looks cool, and we're all addicted to things that look really nice when you shine to a pink and a blue light across the front and the back. But uh, that's not enough. We need visions of tomorrow that aren't just mechanized that are more connected to mm. where we're going for last night sitting in front of this incredibly cool piece firstly i went through a range of emotions at firstly i just thought god this is really cool i can't do this my project sounds really stupid i'm, I'm, I'm dicking about with like a cabaret god uh, while the world's burning uh, but then as i moved through that uh, they, they. Reckon. That's the tagline. Yeah, five stages of grief. Digging about with cabaret yeah. yeah. while the world's burning. While the world's, these are all five stages of grief, Andrew. <laughs> but even they reference a really interesting biblical quote right near the end. One of the, um, one of the performers quoted. It's one of the, one of the books of Samuel where King David dances before the Lord in his pants, and he's so uh, full of kind of joy his, his connection to his vision of god that as the ruler he doesn't care about his dignity and he actually says when told off by the by all the vicars around him you can't do that you're the king he says i will be even more undignified than this and i thought it was really interesting they pulled out that very quote and he kept repeating it while dancing around this is defiance art is defiance exuberant self-expression is defiance to a system that wants to lock down the opposite and so foolishness, in a way, Lee, you're talking about the, a, a real key principle of art, which is embodiment. When we get into our drama school space and get past all, I feel silly and awkward, and then start rolling around and making basic uh, emotional noises, we'll actually get more in contact with the, the fuller truth of who we are. And that's what art's got to help us do when we deal with crisis, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, that, and that's why art needs to be so, so important in making decisions about the future as well, bringing the artistic yes. brains in. I mean, if you look at the way that Apple's worked, okay, you may or may not like Apple, but the, initially you heard all the stories about them going to work and having a slide to slide down into their chair and all this sort of thing. It's all, <laughs> it's all a bit like, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit wanky, isn't it? But um, actually... I want it's, a slide! It, but it, it sounds like it was a really interesting place to have a, a cr creative people with technical skills to create yeah. new things. Um, I think that's Apple uh, anyway. But uh, that's a, that's a good way of of uh, of of combining the two skill sets or I, or, or thought processes. But the and challenge that we, I was going to say the challenge we've got there is that embodiment works in any direction. So mm. loosening yourself up to find your emotional truth, being able to express yourself—that's something that. You know, well, why, why isn't everybody taught dance and drama until they're 18? The basics of running your emotional inner life and your physical 
self-confidence. But I think the problem with all sort of everybody goes mad when they become billionaires because you get more and more detached with physical practice from the value of things. So you end up believing your own hype and, and having your own sort of nostalgia of, oh, yeah, I'm constantly told I know what I'm doing. And the humanity gets harder, I think, to hang on to your sense of connection to the world and to each other once you're all the way up there. So Apple have become a corporate monster. And it, it seems like a nice, oh, some, you know, here's some playful user interfaces that are a lot nicer than engineers doing it without any art. Mm. But in the end, it comes back to, yeah, but what we really embody is the profit margin and everything's then, pushed there. Yeah, and then it's all pushed away and it becomes boring and not creative and not f not fulfilling and also not moving forward with anything. It stays the same and it stays yes. stagnant. So exactly. cr creativity and artistic um, uh, integrity and design and technical aspects are, are you know, it's, it's integral to, to, to making things work in the future and being interesting. Well, look, the last point I want to bring up before we kind of wrap things up, uh, <laughs> that people will say, well, we won't need artists anymore because of AI. And uh, the internet <laughs> is awash with people dicking about with mid-journey and uh, other things at the moment, and computers famously <laughs> not knowing how to do hands, which, Simon, you must, you must have a lot of sympathy for that as an illustrator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's reassuring. <laughs> if nothing else to illustrators. Um, I think artists have got up their game. That's the thing. I think designers are in real trouble, if I'm honest. I've seen yeah. some of the AI-driven design work, mm. and I think, wow, lower-end designers no longer have any work. Well, that's interesting. I was um, going to jump in and say, Lee, you, you found some examples on Midjourney of science fiction stuff that, uh, that are actually really good. And I was scrutinising, thinking I, it might be Midjourney, but it, this looks like an actual film. Some of this mm. stuff... Mm. Look at that. Wow. Uh, the, the nuance of some of these things. Look at that for a vision of a... What was this, Lee? I've forgotten what this particular theme this was. was. This was Tron by Jodorowsky, I think. Wow, what an idea. And then look at look at that for a perfect 70s aesthetic. That looks mm. like a, a yeah. movie that never was. That This is how I'd love The Shape of Things to Hunter kind of look. I mean, look wow. at this piece. Incredible. <laughs> sort of communist space is yeah. incredible. So, uh, yeah, I, I think some of this stuff is... It's going yeah, to play that, a role. That was from that was the from the film that was never made, of course, called Pong. Pong. <laughs> I love the poster you also posted with that. <laughs> so there's some interesting possibilities. We've got to keep our heads yeah. as artists, haven't I we? Think, not, yeah, not at the end fear. of the day, though, um, just briefly talking about AI and worrying that we're all going to be out of a, a living. Not that I've ever made a living. <laughs> well, I was going to say. <laughs> so bring on the news. Um, <laughs> You know, you, yeah, so you've got Jodorowsky's version of Tron there, but at the end of the day, somebody of flesh and blood had to come up with Tron, and somebody um, had, you know, had to be Jodorowsky with all his art influences, you know, uh, and yes. then that, that, was fed in, in. that was fed into a computer. If a computer had to start with a completely blank sheet with no creative inputs what would it come up with yeah. would it come up with anything it needed it needed actual human input before it could then you know um re re blend mm. all these elements so well, i don't think i don't think we're out of a job just yet no it's still referencing as you say the point is the inputs are references we've made and what yeah. we need is not just more self-referential stuff that's done more automatedly that's more robot crap that's sort of central to my point that one way is this soulless robot crap 
soul is a good word here because that really means emotional truth. And emotional truth isn't just testimony. It's connection to what we really value. You know, planet. That's why things should be looking more like sort of this idea of solar punk fusing some something ancient in our truth and something forward-looking. That's an interesting nexus we find ourselves in. Uh, but we've got to actually have vision for the societies we want. We've got to make decisions and we've got to write stories about what we really want, haven't we? Yeah, and you've got to make you've got to normalize that. So that picture that you just yes. showed there with the cows walking around uh, and the greenery of the, you know, of this wonderfully kind of almost brutalesque, but what anyway, I'm going off. Um <laughs> that that is really that's really lovely and that's beautiful to look at. But the more we normalize that in mm. maybe films and storytelling as well the better as opposed to making it a particular thing like tomorrow tomorrow world or something that was out recently where it's like oh yes. this is what it could be like isn't it wonderful it's like well yeah okay well let's make a film about the fact that it's already like that and then that just stick stories in it which are more interested than the surroundings mm. so just keep normalizing this this great future that we could possibly normalizing have. it i Very love that the, the the tricky thing though to get engaging stories is to create is that resistance Mm. there's got to be resistance to the story to make mm. it if somebody wants to turn the next page how mm. do you introduce resistance to something which is an ideal it's that's mm. that's and it's tricky. exactly it's the problem with solar punk in a way and when i was talking with serena ulibari about this on an earlier episode of utf she's the editor-in-chief of um uh one of the big uh, solar punk um publishers I said, how do you get around that? She said, well, it, it really is to do with work in progress. There's plenty of drama, and drama's the same axis as comedy, actually, subversion of, of ideals, uh, you know, the things you aim for and then the things your character really wants. You know, what are they projecting? What are they really doing? It's a really useful just internal grit that any character can have. But actually, also, solar punk's about transition. So you are setting people in a world that isn't perfect, but putting characters there who are genuinely trying different ways of doing things and showing that it can be done. And I had that exact problem with setting up the narrative for things to hum, because what it wanted to do as a tour around the galaxy of old sci-fi stories, how science fiction has been teaching us the future was yeah. give us all these, uh, all the same old stories again, which would just end up all the same backward looking. So that's why I set it in 2099 with a bit of half and half was the compromise for this, where Jack is actually growing up in a world that, post-crisis it's had to get more solar punk but mm. she's still feeling a yearning for something much better and much bigger and a sense of failure that they're not there yet so i had to compromise a bit of the old stuff you highlight a key pro storytelling problem there simon for us trying to show better worlds mm. but you're you part of the way there with the, the martian artist section yeah because there is resistance there and the person reaches past that resistance mm. yes breaks yeah. the rules and that's why that's the, why you're not the sensible the, the, the sensible one here, Andy. You, I, I feel like we need the sort of cinematic, um, deep, serious bit to contrast deliberately with what Lee and I have much more kind of cultural association with, which is mucking about in a cabaret comedy way. <laughs> and if we can put, you know, to me, comedy is a vital part of overcoming fear. So mm. if we can somehow put together the gravity of it with uh, the freedom of, I will be even more undignified than this. Then, then we're going to actually own futures that don't exist yet. I think that's my point. 
Yeah. I know we're just about to go. Just on one last point. Um, It has got a lot of comedy in it. It is really upbeat. It's very funny as well, which is very you, very Timo. If if anybody knows who Timo is, this is you, this entire play. Um, (laughs) But but I also feel like it could be a great book. Um, There's there's enough in there for it to be a good fiction, science fiction cabaret book. Mm. Um, I know that sounds a bit odd, but you could do it and i think that's a, a thought for the future if for any reason this doesn't take off and macintosh doesn't throw you lots of money and it's in the west end next year then perhaps a, a novel would be uh, an interesting direction for it thank you i did i did write this script not strictly like a shooting script it's actually written with yeah. a few descriptors so you could just read it but i have set it up to be quite doable in the uh, um physical sense it's just going to be in front of a flat screen with a few simple projections and Uh, the transitions would be just part of a video projection on the back. And I think that real simple sense of it's a cabaret, it could be quite a small stage, but then you get drawn into something epic by Andy's film made very filmically when we find the budget Uh, and that's pulling focus of being, you're in the room, we're looking, we're actually turning to camera and making jokes with the audience, like proper basic theater. Uh, and then we're taking you to Mars, and then we're taking you to all these other worlds as we drop the songs in, going, ah, and here's the one about uh, when robots took over the world. Here's the one about when uh, megalomaniacs go mad. And I was pleased, I think, by how the film, your film, Andy, and all these themes came together into what felt like a big moment at the end. And knowing, I don't think you know the last few, you won't do, the last couple of songs and things that show up at the end. I do, and I actually... I'm a silly booby, but it all really, it all really got to me. But then I work alone in a shed. I have no <laughs> reference to shareholders or success. So what do I know? Uh, guys, look, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I, I really appreciate this. I know it's a self-indulgent one. You've encouraged me more than so many. I've had a lot of encouraging, clever creatives in my life. You, you three have done an awful lot to make me feel like what I'm doing is real. I feel the same way about all your work and, and how we get to swap stuff. Does anybody lastly want to say anything about the possibility of intertwingularity and us doing this as a podcast for us? Well, this this has worked really nicely. Uh, you brought up a few things about storytelling. You brought up things to hum. I mean, if we can go along the lines of, um, you know, throwing in a theme, say yeah. transport or communication, and then just go off on one then and, and people like it then perhaps perhaps it would we've work got to. plus we've got an excellent theme tune which you commissioned me to do and then i immediately <laughs> nicked for the shape of things to hum and it is the theme from intertwingularity so thanks everyone <laughs> <laughs> our work here is done <laughs> bless you uh, simon lee and andy uh, i could talk to you every time we get on a call i do say i could talk to you all day but we have to probably go and do other things bless you guys lots of love cheers for joining me unsee the future uh, utterly marvellous. Uh, yeah, so that, an indulgent one, but you might find that intriguing, dear viewer, listener. Uh, a little bit of a clue into some of the stuff that I am getting up to. I have been off for the summer, l- listening into stuff, writing in a book, and after 20 years of Momo, uh, working out what I want to do with all this stuff that's come to me over the years. Uh, and I do strangely trust them all uh, uh, <laughs> very much to come back with some very wise understanding about how we make stories. Well, what a, 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 what a,
And that's the point of Unsee the Future and especially the Hopi Chatty Bits, to talk practically about how we rewrite the stories we think we're in. You can follow me on all the usual channels, though I am I am getting very close to jumping ship from all the usual corporate channels onto uh, maybe an intertwingularity instance. I don't know. I want to get more decentralised. Uh, but it has been an absolute joy to chat with everybody today and just give you a glimpse of what might be coming with the shape of things to hump. I can say I'm going to be launching a campaign uh, called Are You Looking for a Change of State? I'm working up some one-man show versions of this. And then we are planning, we are planning to try and get into a couple of festivals, a new iteration of five songs called Six Songs to help us unsee the future. More on that soon. We shall be coming back with a new series of the Hopi Chatty Bits, talking to more storytellers, artists and solar punks, reimagining the stories we think we're in sometime in the new year. Ciao for now. See you soon. Discover more links and video and reading on the blog of this post at unseethefuture.com. And be the first to get the future in your inbox. Subscribe to the Momo Memos at unseethefuture.com forward slash amigos. Listen, read, ponder and share. Do. Unsee the Future is a Momo Tempo production. Obviously. Uh, that was fun. Hey, we're, we're in the green room. This, this, is like, this is like a little bit afterwards that, uh, I, you know, we think it stopped and it hasn't. Uh, so, <laughs> so Mike, please and cues. We should do, yeah. Well, this is important. You can, if you need to go, you can now go. But I have just noticed we have the most perfect person watching uh live because we didn't pro we didn't promote this as a live thing it's hazel evans uh, oh! who, I, who uh, i'm going to predict, predict now is going to be the muse yes because she yeah, was yeah. in five songs <laughs> I've, I've actually written all over it she just is the muse right <laughs> she is the muse uh Hi, yeah, hazel. So, hazel says here when you break it all down if humanity dare you will see that artists are actually among the most important humans artists are the creators alchemists birthing soul into life amen ai will that she puts this with capitals ai will never replace he or she who channels the universe to benefit humanity loving this guys creating resistance in story daring to tell radical truths yes and we can do it with each other because we don't feel alone. Our first fan, Hazel Evans, great. Who is completely in there. So I would say, uh, viewer, listener, if you're still watching, listening, uh, do go and check out Five Songs for Breakfast where Andy and Hazel and I very next morning try and work out what we did the night before. <laughs> I'll leave that line there. Uh, boys, thank you again for joining me. That was really, really good of you. I'm now just going to hit the end of the broadcast so we can go and do our Sundays. Ah. Uh... Have a good day. Farewell. Beautiful, oh, brother.